I'm going to begin this morning, and I'm going to read you a children's book. I'm not trying to dumb down the, uh, your intelligence. I'm going to read a Dr. Seuss book. The name of the book is The Zacks. So if you're young and you may not know who Dr. Seuss was, Dr. Seuss was a, was a children's author. He wrote in rhyme, and he wrote these, these books about life circumstances and values and things like that. And, and so what I want to do is I, I want to read The Zacks, and I, I want you to listen, and, and I want you to hear uh, hear the, the, the words of this book, but also there's a theme. There's a message here, right? So he's writing this so children would read this, uh, either that or maybe parents would read this. So, so let me just read it. It won't take long, a couple of minutes. Here we go. One day making tracks in the prairie of Prax came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped, there they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said. I say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, and let me go south in my south-going groove. The north-going Zax puffed his chest up with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side, and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways. I'll keep here, standing here till 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zach, that I stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years, for I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge, that's my rule, never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will. And if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through. And they built it right over those two stubborn Zacks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. So you may be thinking, wow, that's just a kind of a silly little cute little story for children. But I wonder if there's something deeper than what if there's a message there. I wonder if there's something about the human nature, about you and I, about our unwillingness at times to, to compromise, our willingness at times to not budge, our willingness to allow our pride, our, our, our pride, what we think is absolutely right. I'm not talking about your biblical convictions. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about our willingness at times to be stubborn and take a stand and not budge at all. But let me ask you, how many, how many family relationships in how many marriages have been destroyed because people were unwilling to budge to move off of their, off of their position? Or, or how many jobs? How many people have lost a job because I'm not going to move? I'm not talking about biblical convictions. I'm not talking about truth. But they were unwilling to, boot, to, to move off of their position. How, how many lives have been destroyed because we think we know better than God? You know what, God, I, 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 your word clearly says this. But, but I think that I, I know better. It's not necessarily that you would, you would want this for me, but, but I think that I absolutely know better. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang in there. The, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church of Philippi, he, he, he gives us some incredible words about the nature of our relationship with Jesus and how because of a Christ follower, because we're a Christ follower, because we've been changed on the inside, that we are to look at ourselves, our relationship with God, and to look at our relationship with others in an entirely different way. Philippians chapter 2, verses Three through five. I'm going to put it on the screen. Notice what Paul writes here. He says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but all to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And when you go on and read that passage, it talks about Jesus going to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. So what Paul is saying, listen, I want you to have the mind, the heart, the attitude of Jesus. And what are we to do? We are to look after, each one of you, or to look after the interests of others. In other words, I'm not the center of my life. Jesus is the center of my life. And he's given us a way for you and I to live in this world and how we would relate to us and to other people. And no doubt that Paul is taking his cue from Jesus himself. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. Notice what Jesus spoke to his disciples, to those who were following him. We read these words. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. According to the Bible... According to Scripture, according to Paul, according to Jesus, there is a way for you and I to live with ourselves, to live with our church, to live with our relationship with God, and to live with other people. And we are to clothe ourselves. We are to wear this virtue, if you will, of, of, of humility. I don't think it's all about me. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily say it's all about me, but sometimes we sure think it's all about us, whether it be at our, our job or our family. Someone blocks us. Someone says something against us. Someone criticizes us. And all of a sudden, that pride wells up inside of us. We become like a, a little character in the Zacks. We become stubborn in our heart and our mind. And, and what we have this morning is this. We have a, a, a passage from a guy whose life has radically been changed, Peter. I love this guy. I can't wait to get to heaven. I mean, there's a lot of characters that we all want to talk to, right? I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to Peter. Peter, what, what was it like to walk on water? What was that like? What happened? What did you do? First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Notice what he writes. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Father, I thank you for the life of Jesus. Father, the God, the creator of the world, came into came into existence. Father, he lived and he conquered Satan and he conquered life and he conquered our hearts with the words that he would speak to us. And he went to a cross and offered himself as a sacrifice so that we could live forever with you, Lord. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the promises. And Father, now as we, we live in this world and as we fight against this world and we we wage war. Father, we want to we wanna do so in a way that aligns our hearts and our minds with, with your principles. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning for the nature and the character of who you are and how you would have us to live today with humility. So Father, I, I thank you for that and I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see the beauty of Jesus this morning through the eyes of Peter. And I ask this in Christ's name, amen. So before we get to the text, I just want to remind you a little bit about the guy who we're talking about here. You know, Peter was called by Jesus, seeing 11 others to, to call to follow him. And, and that's, what, that's what he did. He, he followed Jesus. They followed Jesus for about three and a half years. Uh, Jesus had actually changed his, his name to Peter, which means rock. And he said, listen, I'm going to change your name. And what you're going to do is you're going to have a foundational role in the message of Jesus, not just to the Gentiles, but the Jews. You and your life and your teaching and your preaching, you're going to have a foundational role in bringing the absolute message of Jesus Christ to these other people. He didn't understand it, but that's what God was going to do. So God was going to use. 
And through Peter's experiences, I'm sure this idea, this concept of humility was not a valued attribute. If you go back and look at the experiences of Jesus, if you go back and look at the, well, the, the things that, that these guys did, sometimes, like us, you're kind of scratching your head going, did they really get it and when did they get it? One time Jesus confronts them and says, by the way, what were you talking about on the way as you were walking around? Oh, we were just talking about which one of us is the greatest. That's all. You've done some miracles, but we're just talking about which one of us is the greatest. He boldly confessed in Mark chapter 8 that Jesus, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ. And, and Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice. And then he says, no, 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 you can't do that. I know better than you. You can't go to the cross. And Jesus, at that particular moment in time, calls him Satan. Get behind me. He calls him Satan. So think about the experience of, of Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Elijah. And Moses are there, and, and there are they're, they're these Old Testament, wonderful Old Testament saints, and he's there. And Peter looks around, and he just starts talking. Yep, it's good for us to be here. I think, well, why don't we make some boots? Why don't we make some tents for all of us to be here? And what's interesting in the text is he didn't even know what he was talking about. He was just, is that what Peter kind of did at a particular point in time? He kind of babbled. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. And, and they come to arrest him in one of the, the, the greatest pictures that I love in Scripture is when, when, he, when Peter grabs the sword and whacks off Malchus's ear. It's just, it's just, what a great shot just to get his ear. And Jesus heals him. He says, what are you doing? What are you, what are you bringing a sword to this thing for? And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I got gotcha. you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. If everyone else walks away from you, it's me. I'm right there. And we know the story. What, 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 he walks away and he says, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. He denies the association. And, and the reason I bring this up is because we have these beautiful, First Peter, we have these beautiful words from Peter about how his life has radically been changed, about maybe how he was prideful and puffed up and how he had all these wonderful experiences, but, but, but God humbled him. And gave him an understanding, an idea that you can't live this life by yourself, that you need to give yourselves to me and allow me to work through you in the ins and outs, ups and downs, difficulties and challenges of life. And so we have a beautiful picture of a man whose life has been changed. And now he says, church, you people who are scattered, you people all over Asia Minor, what I want you to do and I want you to understand is this. You need to be humble. You need to clothe yourselves with a quality that maybe a lot of people in our culture don't think is very, very worthy, and it's humility. And that's kind of where we're going to go. I want to just see two, two principles from this text. Number one, humility is something that we got to wear, and humility is an action that we, we, we give. It's a faith that we display. So that's, that's where we're going. Two really, really simple principles there. Humility is an attitude that we are. Look at verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Well, what's interesting is that Paul's trying to get everybody's attention here. If you go back right before this, he's talked to elders and, and he's talked to young men. And now he says, listen, I want all of you. In other words, this is not just for a select group of people. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for the, the young men or the older men in the church. All of you. He points back to uh, chapter 3, verse 8, where he talks about all of you to walk in harmony. All of you love one another. In other words, he wants to preserve the absolute unity of the church and how we would walk and how we would relate to each other. How we would view each other in relationship to each other. And the word humility has this idea of, of, of this. It means to be really low. I mean, kind of low on the ground. So I'm, I'm low. It's, it's not about my value. It's, it's not about my value at all. 
I can be low and still have incredible value. What it means to do is it means to be low and to think of myself as being low. In other words, I'm not puffed up. It's not pride. I, I think of myself in a very, very lowly manner. I, I am modest in my thinking. I, I'm unassuming in behavior. I, I have this humble attitude. I understand and know who I am in light of God's goodness, in light, in light of God's grace. But what I want to do is I, I want to put myself down here. Because when I'm down here, almost all the time, when I'm down this low, what am I doing? I'm looking up. I'm looking up. I'm looking up to who God is. And, what, and it's interesting the text talks about God lifting us up when we're looking up. And I would imagine at this particular point in time, humility was not something that was very, very valued. I mean, do you have a problem with, with pride and humility? you have a problem with pride? Oh, how do you kill pride? How do you crucify pride? How do you kill this desire in myself to think that I'm better than other people, that I can do this job better, that I'm smarter than other people, that I have more experience? I, I would imagine we are just like the Zach. Sometimes we're stubborn and we think that we know better with our family, we know better with another person, we know better with, with other people. You realize that this, this concept of humility was, was not a value that was, was lifted up at that particular point in time. It wasn't a value that was, that was highly esteemed in the culture. Humility had the idea of being humiliated or, or debased or, or, or chastised. In other words, it was a negative connotation to humility. That normally comes when, when something has happened in your life and you feel like you've been humiliated. So it wasn't necessarily a value. Evidently, at this particular point in time, the Greco-Roman ethics were founded on 146 maxims of the Delphic Canon from the 6th century B.C. 146 maxims of the Delphic Canon from the 6th century B.C. In other words, this is what they had. These 146 maxims about how they should live your life. 6th century B.C., 146 of them. And these provided the ethics for them for how to live. And I'm like, well, that's Kind of cool. Let me go back and look at them. So I did. I mean, some of these, these maxims are, are very, very simple. You and I would agree with them. It would be things like this. Love God. Honor God. Follow God. Respect your parents. Be self-controlled. Be a good friend. It, it, the, the problem is when you go back and look through all of this, there's no thought, idea to the theme of humility, of living your life in such a way that you are humble before other people. And it wasn't until Jesus came around and brought the idea of what it means to humble ourselves did they finally get it. And it came through the cross, and it came through Jesus, and it came through the disciples as they looked at the life of Jesus. They looked at the experience of Jesus. They looked at the model of Jesus and said, you know what? There's an entirely different way for you and I to live. We need to clothe ourselves with humility. That's what he talks about. Clothe yourselves with humility. So imagine it just this past week when it was Thursday morning. It's 8 degrees out. So imagine if my, my wife comes home. It's like 4 or 5 o'clock. And, and she sees me, and, and I've, got my, I've got my swimsuit on. I've got my flip-flops. I've got a tank top and a towel. And, and I'm walking out past her, and she goes, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to go out back, and I'm going to go sit on one of the lounge chairs out back. It's 8 degrees outside. Are you, are you crazy? What, what is going on in your head? Imagine if I were to do that. She would probably have me committed. One of the many times she would probably have me committed. Well, you would never do that. Why? Because it's not appropriate. It's not the timing of it. It's too cold outside. And what Peter is saying is, listen, what you and I need to realize there's an appropriate way for you and I to live. We need to clothe ourselves with humility. We need to be dressed appropriately. I think we have the image of a first century servant. 
a first century servant, what they would do, they, they would wrap a, an apron or something around themselves. They would put on, they would don the apron, they would put it on, and then they would go and they would be the servant. And some of them would tuck a, a, maybe a red rag or red something, scarf, something red in their, in their belt, and they would be able to be identified from a freeman as, as a slave, as someone who's come. And, and that's what they do. They take this apron, they put on the apron, with the idea that my job, my responsibility, I'm going to clothe myself with the responsibility of serving other people. It's a picture of a, of a servant. I wonder, as Peter's writing this, or as he's giving this information to Mark, the guy who probably wrote this, I wonder if he's writing this, he has this, this pause. And he goes, wow. I wonder if there's a picture of Jesus here. I wonder if there's an image of Jesus. Can I look back in the life and my experiences with Jesus, and can I pick a time when I saw maybe the servant doing something, Jesus, the servant, living and acting in such a way that's very different? And maybe he would go back to John chapter 13, the experience of, of Jesus that's recorded in John chapter 13, about Jesus and his last night together with the disciples. Let, let me just read, and, and maybe this is the picture that, that, that Peter has. So let me just read from John chapter 13. Notice what John writes, it says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Okay, what he's going to do is he's going to give them an example of what does love look like. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray him. So you have the devil, you have Judas. I mean, what a mess of a circumstances here. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things under his power. And that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So that he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. and He began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with a towel that was wrapped around them. What I believe we have is an incredible picture of a servant, of humility. Of, of the one who came, the, the creator of the world who came to this earth, and, and he's sitting around, he's got these, the betrayer and the context, he's getting ready to go to death, and he, he, he wraps himself with this apron, and he goes and he begins to wash, wash the disciples' feet. And then we have the, the example, we have the application of the lesson in John chapter 13, verse 14. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Notice what, what Jesus said. Application. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, no the messenger greater than the one who was sent. Now that what? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. God comes and he gives them an example of what it means to put an apron around himself and to serve other people in one of the lowliest humbling circumstances, he watches the disciples' feet and affirms his love for them. I wonder if that's the kind of attitude that you and I are supposed to have, this humble attitude in our relationship with our family members, in relationship with the people around us. This is not necessarily all about us, but God has redeemed me. God has changed me. God has changed me on the inside so that I have this opportunity, this value to care, other, care for other people with a virtue of humility. In other words, what we do is we, we take our cue for humility from the life of Jesus, from the example of Jesus, for what he's done for us. And, and, if, you, and if you don't think that this, is, this virtue is important, 
Notice what Peter writes in verse 3. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Now, I don't know about you. I don't ever want to be in opposition to God. I don't. Do you? I don't think any of us do. I don't think any of us would, would, would stand in front of God and say, God, I, I, I don't want to do this. We would not look in the face of Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I don't want to do this. We may do that in the way that we respond at times. All of us rebel in our hearts. But I don't think that we want to actively say, I want to oppose myself, put my hand against God and say, stop, because I'm not responding, clothing myself with this quality of humility. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5 says this, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Think back in your Bible lessons. Who did God humble? Pharaoh. God humbled King Saul. God humbled King David. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Jezebel, Balaam, King Herod. We talked about this morning in our, our, our first hour class. You want a, a horrific example of how pride destroys a person Go back and read the example of Haman in the book of Esther. His pride, his wanting to be exalted, his wanting to be, to be lifted up, his wanting to be recognized, destroyed him on the inside. The Bible says this, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. A couple of quotes. C.S. Lewis said this, Pride is ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self. It doesn't matter what's going on, the way that I look at my life, the way that my, I look at my job and my relationships. I look at through the eyes of myself. What is good for me? And isn't that, isn't that kind of what's going on in our culture today? Live for yourself. Do, do Live out your authentic self, whatever that may be. Man, I don't want to live my authentic self. I know what a dirty, rotten sinner I am. And I know from experience how pride destroys us on the inside. William Shakespeare said this, he that is proud eats himself up. Pride is his own glass, his own trumpet, his own chronicle. Isn't that really, really interesting? We know and see and experience how pride laying down deep inside of us can destroy us in a way that nothing else can. God redeems us, and he wants us to be people who would clothe themselves with the very act of humility, taking our cue from the life and the message of Jesus, and humbly serving my spouse, serving my family, serving my church, serving the people around us. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to look at myself? Am I willing to look at my value? Am I willing to look at my job in that way? Do you realize that humility, the way that I look at myself and my job position, is a value that's been radically changed over the last couple of years, that people see one humility exhibited in those they work with. In 2015, the Wall Street Journal did an article, and the name of the article was this, The Case for Humble Executives. Now, I realize this is a couple years ago, but, but they write about this, this idea of humility and how organizations are looking for leaders, executives who display humility. And this is what the article highlights. Among executives, humility is the flavor de jour, said Fred Husson, a former CEO of Shearing Plow Corporation and author of a book on leadership. 
Companies increasingly prize humble leaders because they listen well, they admit their mistakes, and they share the limelight, recruiters and coaches have said. The servant leadership model promotes collaboration, says Dale E. Jones, chief executive of recruiters for Diversified Search. He's saying what, what executives, what people in the business world are looking for are servant leaders. That, that's, that's right out of the Bible because they're willing to admit their mistakes. They're willing to collaborate. They're willing to humble themselves to the opinions of others. The article goes on to talk about um, a major problem with humility. And one of the major problems with humility is this, that you actually have to be humble. And in the article, they give an example from Krispy Kreme about an observer who looked at one of the people, walked, looked at one of the uh, members of the Krispy Kreme organization, and they could see from who he was or what he was doing that he actually wasn't a humble person, that he was trying to act humble. And the executive board noticed this and fired him because of this. And one business expert said this about the summary of what had happened. He says, if you have to act humble, it won't work. You either are or you're not. Now, isn't that interesting? That's in a business context. That's an executive world. And, and the, the point is, for you and I, we, we are to clothe ourselves with humility because it's the characteristic of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And, and it's modeled in our families. It's modeled in our relationships. It's even modeled in the business world where people would give of themselves and say, you know what, I am going to admit when I'm wrong, and I'm going to collaborate. I'm going to look and value you for who you are. I'm going to be down here in my understanding, looking up to other people and other things and how we might work together. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he talks about the, the issue of humility, the challenge of humility. Notice what he writes. He says this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And what Peter is simply writing to the people here, he understands and knows the context of their life. Go back and look at chapter 1. He calls them aliens and strangers. He says, listen, I know that you are aliens and strangers. I know that you are separate. I know that your values are absolutely different. And I know that you're going through a very fiery ordeal. You're going through difficulties. You're going through challenges in life. What I want you to do is to exhibit humility toward one another and live with humility toward one another. So what, what, what that might look like for you and I today, I, I just wrote down a couple of things. I mean, it's not looking down at other people because of the job that they have or the position that they have, or maybe the money that they have, or maybe the clothes that they have. Or, or, or maybe it means not looking down at someone because of the, uh, uh, hang on, oh, because of their age, their sex, their political party. Wow, we're pretty, we're pretty wrapped up in some of that stuff right now, and if you're on one side of the spectrum, you see somebody on the other side. Or we look at them, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's about life. It's about who Jesus is. And what it's, it's not looking at other people thinking, well, you know, I'm better accepted. Maybe somebody from another religion. Or, or maybe I'm, I'm a little bit spiritually advanced than this other person. It, it means at the cross what we're doing is we, we are recognizing ourselves as humble servants of the Lord and at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And God has called us, all of you, to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another in the body of Christ. So what it means is this is I, I, I'm not going to take all the time. And what I'm going to do is I, I'm not going to command all the time. And what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to serve and I'm going to look for opportunities. 
in my family, in my church, and to, to, to serve other people using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that, that God has given to me. So humility is, is something that he says, listen, I want you to wear this. I want you to put it on. I want you to clothe yourself. And I want to end with this. Humility is also an action. It's an action. It, it's something that I do. It's not just something that's out there in my head, but it's a way that I live my life. Look at verse 6. Notice what he writes. Notice what Peter writes. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Again, the context of this is difficulties and challenges in life. The context of this is the brutality of living as a stranger and an alien, probably along the time where Nero is on the throne. It's not easy to be a Christian. So in the midst of that mess, how am I going to live? Am I going to live with pride or am I going to live with trust? James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord and what? He will, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. So how does humility, what does humility and action look like? Real briefly, look again at verse 6. It says, under God's mighty hand. Doesn't humility trust God's mighty hand? Doesn't pride say, you know what, God? I got this. I can do this. I don't need your help. Maybe you've been blocked. Maybe something's not happened in your life. But what you do is rather than going to God, submitting yourself to him, what you do is you begin to fight God and what he would have for you. You're not placing yourself under the mighty hand of God. You are rebelling against him and what he's actually revealed. God, I got this. I, by the way, know better than you. Isn't that what pride does? We rebel in our hearts saying, I know better than God. We do it all the time. Psalm 91 says this. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The shelter. In other words, God's hand is a shelter. And it's almost like God's hand is sheltering us. But what he's doing, he's, his other hand is he's lifting us up. And, and am I going to place myself under the mighty hand of God? Or am I going to think that I can do this all by myself? i, I got to believe that Peter is thinking of Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. God says to, to Moses, listen, unless a compelling force doesn't come, unless somebody comes against him, unless I show him my mighty power, nothing's going to happen. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. This is a statement about God's power to sustain us in the midst of difficulties and challenges. Doesn't pride disregard God's power in our lives? thinking that I know better than God and I can do this? Doesn't Ephesians chapter 3 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we ask or think according to what? The power that lives inside of us. God has given us that power. Don't disregard the mighty hand and the power of God. Second thing, humility trusts God for his timing. Look at verse 6 again. That he may lift you up in due time. Don't we often run and think that we know better than God for his timing? We're not praying, Lord, your will be done. We're praying, my will be done. God, I know what God's will is for my life, and this is what I want. Doesn't pride disregard God's timing in our life and what God would do in our life and how he would lift us up? How many times have we gotten in trouble because we've kind of gone off on our own thinking, oh, I've got this. I can take care of this. Saul was told to listen, you need to wait, and Samuel will come and he'll offer the sacrifices. 
And we often sometimes act like Saul. We look around and go, man, he's not here. What am I going to do? I know I'm going to offer the sacrifices. I'm going to do something. I'm going to respond. And he offers the sacrifices, and here comes Samuel. You know, we, we do that. We forget God's timing in our life. Warner Wiersbe said this, a pastor from Modi. He said this, one of the evidences of our pride is our impatience with God, and one of the reasons for suffering is that we might learn, go back and read, Chapter 1, verse 6, about the testing of your faith produces what? That's what he's talking about. It, what humility does is it trusts that God will lift us up in his due time, whether it be Joshua, or the Baron, Hannah, David, all of these things. So, so humility is an action. It trusts God for his power. It trusts God that he will exalt us at the right time. The last thing, it, it trusts God for his care. Listen, when life is difficult and life is messed up, one of the first things we do is we think that God doesn't care for us. We're like the psalmist. Lord, how long? What's going on? How long? What is going on in my life? I don't get it. Doesn't pride question whether God cares for us or not? Notice what the text says. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of the stuff, the anxiety. By the way, what is anxiety? What is worry? Isn't that disregard for who God is and what he's done for us? Isn't that what it is? I, well, I can't trust God because of the big things in my life. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put him in a backpack and I'm going to walk around like this, trying to carry myself. And he says, listen, take those off and cast them on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Listen, you may not know the external the circumstances of your life. You may not know all of the things going on, but do not disregard the fact that God cares for you. God cares for you, and he knows more about your life than anyone else, and he knows the very hairs on your head are numbered, and he knows when the sparrow falls. Why? Because God cares for you. Probably one of the, we, we learned this this morning uh, from Psalm 3. One of the things we learned this morning in Psalm 3 is this idea that, that, that somebody can come to you, and they can begin to question your faith, and they begin to say to you, does God really care about you? Do you really think God is going to come to your aid? Happened in the life of David. Happened in the life of Jesus on the cross. If God really cares for you, he'll help you. He'll save you. Don't wait on him. Don't trust him. And what, what Peter's saying, listen, cast all your anxiety, your worry on him. Why? Because he does care for you. He cares you enough to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for his sin so that we can one day enjoy all the wonderful blessings that we are going to enjoy in heaven. I'm going to close with a, a picture. And uh, my wife and I went to Israel um, a bunch of years ago, and there's a picture in the, the church of the the Church of the Nativity. And everything used to be a little bit higher, but a lot of times they would come into the city, then they would, the horses would come into the doors, and uh, they would go and they would they'd wreck all of the, the things that were going on, the, the Church of the Nativity and, and all the things that were going on inside, inside this cathedral. So what they did was they built it. And, and see what happens is you've you got to come in, you've you got to you bend down. And it's a picture of humility. It, it, it's a picture of, 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 of us humbling ourselves before the character, the nature of God, and acknowledging who he is and what he's done for us and going to the cross for us. So previously, I, I quoted Philippians chapter 2. I, I want to just end by, by giving you the, the rest of Philippians chapter 2. And it's referencing the life of Jesus and the humility that he's displayed to us and why we should emulate his life. Listen to Philippians 2. It says this, speaking of Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, an apron, and being made as in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to God, even death on a cross. 
I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to obey you, God, even to death on the cross. Therefore, what God exalted them to the highest place and gave them name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We take our cue from Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. That's a beautiful passage. If God could come and live with us and go and offer himself as a sacrifice, you and I have the capacity through the word of God, through the spirit of God, to live in humility with each other. It's a beautiful virtue. On Thursday morning, they had a service for a guy by the name of Dave Rittenhouse. And I, I heard a number of times, he's one of our missionaries at Transworld Radio. And I, I heard over and over him described as being a humble, quiet person. He was a humble person. He was a quiet person. But he demonstrated humility, not just in his personal life, but in his professional life and with his family. And just a beautiful description of what it means for a man to live with humility. And you and I can do that through the Spirit of God given to us. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for Jesus who comes and he turns life upside down. Father, I, I would imagine that, that almost all of us struggle with pride in some way, with the way that we view ourselves in relation to our job or the people around us, uh, a political party, Lord, to, to someone who's different than us. Father, we look at Jesus and the humility that he came and the way that he was an example to us. And Father, I, I ask that we would, in humility, demonstrate those virtues, those qualities to those around us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that one day we will be in heaven and we will worship him, we will exalt him, we will lift him up for who he is and what he's done for us. And Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.